Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in the book of Exodus. I know I'm kind of in and out of this, but I'm still going to push and continue to do this. We are ready to read Exodus chapter 21. Last time we read Exodus chapter 20. Now chapter 20 is basically the Ten Commandments chapter. And God has a lot of instructions here. And at the end, he's telling them, If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you use a chisel on it, you will profane it. Nor shall you go up to my altar on steps, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. So that is the end of Exodus chapter 20. Now we're ready to read Exodus chapter 21. I am reading from the Amplified Bible. Now these are the ordinances, laws, which you shall set before the Israelites. If you purchase a Hebrew servant because of his debt or poverty, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall leave as a free man, paying nothing. If he came to you alone, he shall leave alone. If he came married, then his wife shall leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she gives birth to sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall leave your service alone. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not leave as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God, that is, to the judges who act in God's name. Then he shall bring him to the door or doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, kind of a strong needle type of thing, or a nail, and he shall serve him for life. Now notice that is a big decision. And notice that this piercing signifies a kind of commitment and slavery to this person. Now, I'm going to say really it's more of a commitment if you decide to do it voluntarily. I'm going to say that's really, I think of slavery as something you're forced into. So this is going to be a commitment of service to this person for their life, okay? If a man sells his daughter to be a female servant, she shall not go free after six years as male servants do. If she does not please her master who has chosen her for himself as a wife, he shall let her be redeemed by her family. He does not have the authority to sell her to a foreign people because he has been unfair to her. If her master chooses her as a wife for his son, he shall act toward her as if she were legally his daughter. If her master marries another wife, he may not reduce her food, her clothing, or her privilege as a wife. If he does not do these three things for her, then she shall leave free without payment of money. Now, some people would say they just look at certain parts of this and they say, oh, God condones slavery and mistreats women. Actually, because of the way things were back then, these laws here, if you look at this closely and, and kind of judge it out and realize that their life back then was way different than ours. This is trying to look out for women and trying to 
trying to help protect them. Is it perfect? It's perfect if in your heart you act accordingly and treat, treat women correctly. In any of these cases, in any case, um, people can ruin these things by acting incorrectly. I mean, that's the way the law always is. That's always the way it's been. Whether or not you have God and, and this law in the picture or not, people have always mistreated people. So that's hardly something you can blame on God, in my opinion. Nonetheless, if you'll notice, these are certain protections and certain things to help people get in and out of bondage or their servitude, especially like in the man's case, if it's due to debt or poverty. So I just want to make sure that we're clear that, you know, God is not necessarily condoning slavery. And matter of fact, if you choose to stay in servitude with someone, you're making a commitment to serve them. That's really no longer slavery. That's voluntary. It's not that he condones it. It's just that God recognizes that it is something that is occurring in the world of men the same as Jesus does in the New Testament. This is a fact. Um, at this time in the old days, this slavery that occurred through conquering of another nation or tribe and all that type of thing. This went on up until maybe, as far as I know, it's not going on in the world now in the same manner. But as of even just a few hundred years ago, it was. It really is not based in skin color. I know here in the U.S. we get all wrapped up in slavery and it was, you know, just black people being enslaved. That is a particular peculiar thing that occurred in the last few hundred years. That was not the norm thousands of years ago. Anyone could be enslaved at any time. It had nothing to do with the pigment of your skin. So just want to make sure we're all clear on that. It was just something that happened either through, like I said, conquering another nation. You could be in debt or in poverty. Sometimes it was better to be the slave of a rich person because you would be treated better than to be in total abject poverty and have nothing because they would at least provide you with living arrangements. So it, it had its trade-offs. And I know that sounds horrible, but sometimes we have to face facts and look at the way life really was, and it was not easy. So some things are difficult, and not everyone will make the same choices. Anyway, we're going to continue on. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies must be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait for him, but God allowed him to fall into his hand, then I will establish for you a place to which he may escape for protection until duly tried. But if a man acts intentionally against another and kills him by design through treachery, you are to take him from my altar, to which he may have fled for protection, so that he may be put to death. Whoever strikes his father or his mother must be put to death. Whoever kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or is found with him in his possession, must be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother, or treats them contemptuously, 
must be put to death. If men quarrel and one strikes another with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to bed, if he gets up and walks around leaning on his cane, then the one who struck him shall be left physically unpunished. He must only pay for his loss of time at work and the costs of treatment and recuperation until he is thoroughly healed. If a man strikes his male or his female servant with a staff and the servant dies at his hand, he must be punished. If, however, the servant survives for a day or two, the offender shall not be punished, for the injured servant is his own property. If men fight with each other and injure a pregnant woman so that she gives birth prematurely, and the baby lives, yet there is no further injury, the one who hurt her must be punished with a fine paid to the woman's husband as much as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall require as a penalty, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If a man hits the eye of his male servant or female servant and it is destroyed, he must let the servant go free because of the loss of the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male servant or female servant, he must let the servant go free because of the loss of the tooth. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox must be stoned, and its meat shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be cleared of responsibility. But if the ox has tried to gore on a previous occasion, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it confined, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death as well. This is clearly an example of negligence. So these, all these laws, all these rules, if you look at those, you can kind of see the beginning of a judicial system much as what we have today. I'm going to continue on, but it's interesting to see how some of these fit with some of our laws now. If a ransom is demanded for him in return for his life, then he shall give whatever is demanded for the redemption of his life. If the ox has gored another's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a male or a female servant, the owner shall give to the servant's master 30 shekels of silver, the purchase price for a slave, and the ox shall be stoned. If a man leaves a pit open or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to the animal's owner, but the dead animal shall be his. In other words, he's going to pay for the damage he's caused, but he's going to get the animal, if that's of any value. I mean, if the meat or anything was of any value. If one man's ox injures another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the proceeds equally. 
They shall also divide the dead ox between them. That sounds pretty fair. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, and its owner has not kept it confined, he must make restitution of ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his. So, as I said, you can kind of see the very beginnings, the basis of uh, a judicial system here that we ourselves still try to follow very, very much our laws. A lot of our laws can go back to this. Now, some things we do not have in our laws, such as these about things about the mother and father, if we treat them contemptuously or if we curse them. Uh, some things like that we don't have in our laws. Our laws are much more. I don't know the right word. Our laws are not trying to legislate or they should not be legislating morality so much. Because we don't want to interfere with people's religious beliefs and different things. Um, plus, we want our laws to be as unrestrictive as possible while still maintaining peace and order between each other in society. So, but you can see here God is handing down laws that make sense. And from this, you can get the idea of how we should be if we accidentally cause damage to another we should try to restore that and repay that and and sometimes it's going to happen and it's not going to be intentional and and you'll notice a lot of this is unintentional damage it's things that you didn't mean to do or that you did not intend to have happen now as far as your animals notice that you are ultimately responsible for your animals if you know your animal has a violent tendency and you do not restrict your animal, then you're guilty of negligence. Even here, back here in the Bible, God is basically saying, if you know your animal tends towards violence and you don't do anything to restrict it or control it, then you are basically being negligent and you are responsible. So, it's a very interesting chapter and it deals with a number of different things here that I think are important, but you can see how they, you can see how some of it is a basis for some of our laws as well, even today. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.